Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study podcast. This is Robert J. Morgan, and we're continuing today our series of studies on the precipice of prophecy. What does it mean to live in these last days? What can we learn from the Bible about what is happening in the future? And how can we interpret current events in the light of the return of Jesus Christ? Well, this series of podcasts goes along with my book, The 50 Final Events in World History. This is my study of the book of Revelation, and I think that I can explain Revelation clearly enough for a middle schooler to understand. I think that all of us need to understand and appreciate the book of Revelation because of the times in which we are living. If there was ever a generation who needed to read and study Revelation, then it is our generation because we are living at the very end of time at the precipice of prophecy. Now, if you have gotten a copy of my book and you like it, it would help a lot if you would leave on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Christian Book Distributors, wherever you get your book, if you would leave a five-star review that encourages other people to pursue the same subject in the same book, and that would be very, very helpful. And if you want more information about the events of the last days, then I have a video series called The 50 Final Events in World History, as well as a Facebook Live study that you can follow along at. And you can find information about this and all the other uh, resources we have at robertjmorgan.com. Well, recently I was in Central Park, and there was an arching bridge, one of those lovely postcard scenes, and I ambled onto it and just paused and looked out over the unfolding acres of Central Park and the giant skyscrapers in the distance. And it was a beautiful day, and I was soaking up the sunshine, and about 15 or 20 other people were there as well doing the same thing. And suddenly, everything changed. Everyone's phone began humming or vibrating or chirping. I could hear all of these phones going off around me. Now, I have my notifications turned off, so my phone didn't chirp, but everybody else's did, and they all looked with great concern and I thought, oh my goodness, here I am in New York City, and that madman in Moscow has punched the button, and there are missiles headed this way right now. So I went over with concern and said to one of the people, what's happening? Oh, he said, there's been a shooting in the subway in Brooklyn. Well, I was very sorry about that, but I'd already decided not to take subways. They've gotten some bad press recently, and... So I went back to my view and back to the wonder of that beautiful day. But later, I thought to myself, I am like a lot of people in this world. God is sending warnings. There is one warning after another. There are warnings 
and the events unfolding in the world. There are warnings within the pages of Scripture. There are warnings in our own deep conscious thoughts and in our consciousness and our inner conscience. And most people have their notifications turned off. They are not hearing the warnings that are coming from God. They are oblivious to the dangers ahead. Well, that brings us to a passage of Scripture that I want to read today. It's found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33. And if you'll turn there, if you're able to, some of you are um, riding a horse or riding a motorcycle or driving in your car or taking a walk. But if you have a Bible nearby, then just turn to Ezekiel chapter 33, and let me read to you verses 1 through 11, and then one other verse. 1 through 11, and then one other verse, which will be verse number 33. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, When I bring the sword against a land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning, and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head, since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not heed the warning. Their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin, but I will hold the watchman accountable for their own blood. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That wicked person will die for their sin. And I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel. Wow, that's a very somber and sober passage. It's one of the most dramatic passages in all of Scripture, especially when it comes to the commissioning of a prophet. But this is the second time Ezekiel has heard those words. He had heard them once before, very, very similarly, in chapter 3. Now, when you study the book of Ezekiel, especially if you read through it several times. You can sit down and read through it in about an hour. You can read through it several times and see very clearly that there is a division between chapter 32 and 33. Chapters 1 through 32 
deal with one particular thing. Ezekiel is commissioned in chapter 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 3, he is told that he is a watchman for the, for the people of Israel. He is a watcher on the wall. And for 32 chapters, 1 through 32, his message is the glory is going to depart from Jerusalem. Those of you here along the Kabar River in Babylon where I am, those of you who are exiles, those of you who are thinking that Israel can never fall, that Israel can never be destroyed, those of you who think that very soon you're going to be going back home, you are trusting in the wrong thing. You are trusting in Jerusalem. You're trusting in the temple when the only sure foundation for faith is an almighty God alone and in his word. So trust nothing but in the Lord. Jerusalem will fall and the glory will depart. And in chapter 33, Jerusalem falls in 536 B.C. Uh, five, I'm sorry, 587 B.C. But then beginning in chapter 33, the message changes. Ezekiel is commissioned again. This is a recommissioning, a second commissioning of Ezekiel. I sometimes wonder if I should have had this done. After all of the years of being senior pastor, my role changed and I began another phase of my ministry. It was as though the Lord was recommissioning me. Well, the Lord did that here officially to Ezekiel in chapter 33, and the message of 33 through 48, the rest of the book is, the glory will return. God is not finished with Israel. He is not finished with Judah. He's not finished with Jerusalem. The glory is going to come back. And in the ensuing chapters, the remaining chapters of Ezekiel, we have some of the greatest prophetic passages and the future, it goes along with the book of Revelation, hand and glove. We read about the valley of dry bones, about the restoration and the reconstitution of the nation of Israel, about the battle of Gog and Magog, the battle of Armageddon, and about the millennial reign, the return of Christ and the millennial reign of Jesus in Jerusalem when the glory comes back. All of that is in the remaining chapters of Ezekiel. But here, Ezekiel is commissioned again. And the other verse that I want to show you at the very end of the passage is 33. The Lord said, when all of this comes true, and it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. And so here, at the turning point of the book, the epoch of a new phase of Ezekiel's ministry he is recommissioned, and he is commissioned as a watchman on the wall. Well, we have the same commissioning. Let's go back and begin applying this to ourselves in chapter 33, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Now, God's word comes to us every time we open the book, every time we read the Bible. But there are special times when the word of the Lord comes to us. And recently I've been thinking back over my own life at those moments when God spoke in a special way to me. I didn't hear him audibly, but there's no mistaking when he speaks. And 
even last Sunday. I was in San Diego. I had my nine-year-old grandson. We had gone out to the San Diego Zoo, enjoyed the Saturday. I'd come back to the hotel to prepare for the evening service and for the next day services that I was preaching, but there had been a problem. When we'd left the zoo and come back to the truck, the rental vehicle, there was a sign on the window and said, we're terribly sorry, but we ran into your truck and dented it. Here's our name and phone number. Well, I was very glad that whoever had done that had been honest, but it was a little disheartening that there had been damage to a rental vehicle. And when I went back to the hotel, despite how wonderful the day had been with my grandchild, I was discouraged and I just laid down for a few minutes on the bed in the hotel room and closed my eyes. Meanwhile, my grandson was over across the room doing various things and eventually he picked up a book that I'd given him of scripture readings. It was a book called Daily Light. And all by himself, he just decided that he was going to read a page out loud. And he began reading, and I began listening. And the last verse he came to said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And from the voice of a nine-year-old boy, it's as though the Lord was speaking to me. And I think we need to be alert to those times every day when the Lord wants to speak to us, but especially at critical moments of our lives. And that's what Ezekiel was facing as the news of the fall of Jerusalem was about to come. And the word of the Lord spoke to him and said, Son of man. Now, this is an unusual phrase. It only occurs in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, where it refers to Jesus in a messianic passage, and here in Ezekiel, where over and over and over again, Ezekiel is called the Son of Man. Jesus, in the Gospels, referred to himself by this title more than he referred to himself by any other title. It was his favorite way of describing himself, Son of Man. It has to do with our humanity, which contrasts with the glory of God, which is the theme of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is all about the glory of God, the transcendent, the remarkable glory of God in its visible form. He talks about the glory of the Lord that appeared before him by the Kabar River, the glory of the Lord that departed from the temple and that is coming back again one day, the manifested, visible glory of God, which we will see one day. And in the light of that glory, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. But the glory of God works hand in hand with us mere mortals. And the contrast is indicated in Ezekiel by this phrase, the Son of Man, how marvelous that the God of glory would want to work with a son or a daughter of man like you or me. So the word of the Lord came to me, Son of Man, speak to your people and say to them, and now we have this passage about the watchers on the wall. I am making you a watchman on the wall. And in verse 7, specifically, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. Now, the watcher on the wall was in antiquity, a young man with eagle 
vision with perfect 2020 vision who could see further than anybody else and he was trained to watch out for danger he was placed at the highest point on the wall and he repeatedly continually scanned the horizon in all directions and he had to have the ability to be able to distinguish between a herd of camel and an army that was coming and to blow the trumpet or to send the word. We have a picture of this in 2 Samuel chapter 18. David is waiting for news from a battle, and there is a watcher on the wall, and he sends word, I see somebody running in the distance. And the word is brought to David, and then the man says, I can't identify him by his face, but I know him by the way he runs. And that message was relayed to David. These people were critical. By day, they watched for the enemy. By night, they kept watching the moonlight, and they sounded out the hours, and they watched for the morning. Well, the Lord says to you and me, for our generation, we are watchers on the wall. And if I send a warning and you don't tell people, then the responsibility is on you. But if I send a warning and you relay it and the people don't listen, the responsibility is on them. But the most wonderful thing is if I send a warning and you relay it and the people turn from their sins, what joy there will be because I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I want them to turn from their evil ways. Now, if we are watchers on the wall for our generation— what are we warning about? I think there are three things. We are warning about coming judgment. And this brings us to the book of Revelation. Well, the book of Ezekiel is full of this as well. God tells us what's going to happen in the future. And he warns us there is coming a day of judgment. There is coming a series of judgments. He is going to judge the nations. He's going to judge the United States of America He's going to judge our politicians. He's going to judge our media. He's going to judge academia. He's going to judge everyone who is not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And these judgments will fall in phases that are described in the book of Revelation, which is why I want you to study the book of Revelation. Even if you don't use my book, The 50 Final Events in World History, we need to be familiar with the book of Revelation and with the coming judgment and especially with the great white throne judgment that is described in Revelation chapter 20. And we've got to warn people. This week, Susie Larson told me that when she was in junior high or high school, she was a teenager, she went to a party and there were some girls there who said, let's go out and see if we can find some boys. And even though Susie wasn't a Christian, she didn't feel like she ought to be doing that. So she stayed behind with some other girls at the house, and she overheard them, and they were making fun of some of the things in the book of Revelation. They had heard or read, or maybe their preacher had described some of these things. I don't know. But they were sort of ridiculing them. And Susie felt a sense of conviction about that. And she said, I just went outside and sat on the porch and looked up at the sky and said, Dear Lord, I don't know what they're talking about, but if you are a God who speaks to us, then please speak to me. 
And shortly afterwards, she began reading the Bible, and she came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And it changed her life, and now she's been studying the entire Bible, including the book of Revelation. And her whole ministry around the world has been warning people of coming judgment. And I was on her radio program for an hour, and we took so many questions from all over the country of people wanting to know what is God going to do in the future. This is a relevant subject that people want to know about. And the aspect of the coming judgments of God upon this world is something we need to be aware of and warn the world about because we are living in the last days. Secondly, we need to warn people about the moral evil that can destroy them in our own day and age in this particular time. This society and our culture is collapsing in moral evil, and it's thought by the world to be very popular. It's thought by the world to be politically correct and the way that things should evolve. But from a biblical perspective, it's very dangerous. I was reading recently a blog put out by Andrew Brunson, who is the young man. He's a graduate of my alma mater. He went to Turkey with his family as a pastor, and President Erdogan, that dictator of Turkey, imprisoned him and oppressed him for many years before he was finally released. But Brunson wrote recently that America is facing the threat of real political prosecution and persecution, and it's primarily because of two issues. Number one is our belief that Jesus Christ is the exclusive means to God and to salvation. This is not very popular with the world, and even in some sliding, declining churches, it's not a very popular message. But the Bible says there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. So the message of the exclusive means of salvation through Christ alone will set us up for oppression. The other is the biblical worldview about certain moral issues of our day having to do with gender and sexuality and marriage and other things. It should not be controversial, and yet... If I were to get before the microphones of our nation and say this, it would be to quote the words of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 10, who said, Have you not heard that from the beginning God created them male and female? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the Lord will make them one flesh. There you have the summary of the biblical teaching of gender, of sexuality, and of marriage. It is a philosophy and a worldview that is so hated by the world that they now accuse Christians of hate speech and being hate mongers because we hold to the simple words of Jesus. But I hold to those words and I stand on those truths because those who violate it sooner or later will receive destruction in their own personalities because God has made us and he has sanctified gender, sex, and marriage in a way that is for the benefit of humanity and those who violate it do so at their own destruction. And we're to warn people about these things.
thirdly, we're to warn people about eternal destruction. There is the truth in the Bible that there is a hell and there is death. And the only way to avoid it is through Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. For Jesus, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But the last verse of the chapter says, Those who have the Son have eternal life, but those who don't, face condemnation. And the message of the Bible is that the only way to walk with God and have eternal life and forgiveness of sins is through Jesus Christ. And the alternative is judgment and eternal condemnation. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's why Ezekiel said, turn, turn, Turn from your evil ways, why will you die, you people of Israel? Now, this is a very important message, of course, and it's very important to us to share it. And you never know when the Lord may give you an opportunity of sharing it, and we need to take every opportunity. Last week, I was in the United Kingdom, and at the end of my preaching tour, I was placed in a taxi to go to the airport It was the airport in Manchester, England, and it was about an hour and a half ride, and I got in the back seat, and I was very tired, and I thought, well, I'm glad that I've gotten away from all of the demands, and now I can just rest in this taxi to my hotel, and I can lean back and close my eyes and meditate, but there was no such luck. The taxi driver was a very talkative man, and from the very moment I sat down, he began talking my ear off. In fact, he said to me, now sit down here diagonally from me so that I can talk to you. And he told me all about his life. I got his entire biography. His father had been blind from birth and yet had trained himself to become one of the greatest musicians in England. And he had been renowned for his his, uh, musical abilities. And he, he said, my father knew all of the hymns in the hymn book all of the notes, how many verses every hymn had, because in the Church of England, if you're singing a hymn of seven stanzas, then you sing all seven stanzas, and the organist cannot begin on the eighth. So my father knew all of the notes. He knew the number of stanzas to all of the hymns, and he was a tremendous vocalist and organist and musician in so many ways. And as a young man, he put me into singing school, and I began singing in choirs, And he said, I've been doing that from a teenager until now in my old age. He said, I love singing in choirs. I only drive a taxi to pay the bills, but my real vocation and love is singing in choirs. And he said, I've sang in churches and cathedrals all over England. I've even sung before the Queen. I said, well, what do you like to sing? He said, the great hymns of the faith. He said, the classic hymns hymns. He said, I love them. He said, I sing every one of them. And I said, well, one of my favorite hymns is a German hymn, Praise Ye the Lord the Almighty, the King of Creation. And he began singing it for me. So I asked him, I said, well, this is a wonderful thing. You and I share a great love for the hymns. When did you become a believer? 
Oh, he said, I'm not what you would call a very good Christian. In fact, he said, I'm not a Christian at all. He said, I just love the Christian music. And I thought to myself, how can that be? And I thought for a long time about how to respond to that. And so I shared with him, I said, well, you know, I love the hymns too, but I love the one who gave us the hymns and the one that the hymns are talking about more. I said, I'm a very simple man. I just believe the Bible teaches that there is a God and that he made us and that he loves us and that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us and to rise again. And I said, don't you know the great hymn that says, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain to him, uh, for, him who, uh, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my gost, God shouldst die for me? And he said, oh, I love that hymn. And I said, what about amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And he said, I've sung that many times. It was written by John Newton here in England. It's an English hymn. I said, well, it must be very sad. How sad to know the music, but to have no relationship to the master, to sing the songs, but not to know the Savior. Don't you think that you need to know the one that you love singing about? He said, well, he said, I think I've just never taken the plunge. I said, well, it's not that hard to take a plunge. I said, you just walk out to the end of the diving board and you jump and you fall into, an, into, a, into the waters of grace. I said, it's just a matter of making that decision, making that choice and saying, dear Lord, I'm going to follow you. And he was quiet for a long time and he said something like, yes, I need to do that. I couldn't persuade him to do it while I was in the taxi. So I've only had to pray since then that the one, that fellow, that taxi driver who loves the songs of the Lord might come to love the Lord of the songs. Well, we have got to warn people of coming judgments, of moral evil, and of eternal destruction. And that's the job of those who are watchers on the wall. And that's our commissioning in these last days. And it's important for us to go about it, to our family and friends, to our city and state and nation, to our country and to our world. So that when we're gone, and our days of life and ministry on this planet are over. At least they will know that there has been a prophet among them. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast, and I hope that you will share it with other people. It's a joy to be able to come to you week by week and share out and share with you the riches of the Bible. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company, Clearly Media. 
Audio editing is by Courtney Warner. Print editing and blog posting is by Sherry Anderson and Luke Tyler. Music is by Elijah Rowe. Special help comes from Carson Outlaw. And you can see all of my resources and follow all of our ministry at robertjmorgan.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening, and may God be with you until we meet again.